Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Welcome back to the show. My name is Noel, uh, as a spirit conduit for Matt, who usually starts the show but is away on adventures. Mm-hmm. And we'll return shortly. They call me Ben. We are joined with our super producer, uh, Paul, the necromancer decant. Most importantly, you are here. You are you. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. You know, Ben, I thought the Necronomicon was real. Until you told me otherwise last time we had that conversation. Right. This is going to be an episode that uh, those of you who enjoyed our Grimoire episode will find uh, particularly fascinating. I love that you mentioned the Necronomicon at the top of the show, Noel, because for everyone listening, if you're a fan of horror movies, you're intimately familiar with that old trope of the cursed book. And Lovecraft's Necronomicon, Howard Philip Lovecraft, uh, he... He made this book. It's a perfect example of what we're talking about because for years and years and years after he admittedly wrote it in a work of fiction as a work of fiction, mentioned in other fictional stories, people liked it enough that they just started 
saying let's all agree that it's real. Yeah, I mean, I think my thing is it just has become such a stand-in for, like, cursed books, like you said. I almost thought it was more of a word than a specific volume, mm-hmm. like calling something a Necronomicon or a Grimoire, you know? Right. That like, was what my brain did. Like how uh, nowadays, instead of saying search the internet, we just say Google, regardless know, of which search, or Xerox for copy. Uh-huh. That's that's a interesting comparison. Now, the Necronomicon may be the most widely known fictional book of magic in the Western world, but there are other ones too. Uh, you know, on a lighter note, there's the spell book in Disney's Hocus Pocus, which I recently rewatched and stand by. It is an enjoyable movie, if not a film. Today, these books are almost universally thought of as little more than clever bits of fiction, maybe an extra detail added to flesh out a a fictional world. But as we explored in the previous video and audio episodes on grimoires, these books were real things. They were physical, tangible books in the real world. They were often mistakenly or purposefully misattributed to other authors. There were multiple counterfeit versions and numerous books took the same name or something very much like it to increase their occult street cred, but the books themselves were real. And in many, many cases, various people throughout the centuries would read these books and attempt the experiments or rituals outlined in those tomes. Today's episode is about one of the most famous grimoires in existence, the book or slash books known as The Key of Solomon. We're going to delve into the fact and fiction surrounding this book with one other huge question that we'll get to near the end. What is this supposed to do and does it actually work? So here are the facts. The Key of Solomon is kind of, it's just sort of an umbrella term that is assigned to several different books. And there's a legend that says the book was originally created by the biblical King Solomon of mining, mining fame. He had a mine. King Solomon's mine. Right. He had a seal. Mm -hmm. He made a temple. Yeah. According to, you'll hear it being phrased as a... Uh, something mentioned in just Judeo-Christian beliefs, but mention of King Solomon also occurs in holy books of the Baha'i and also in the Quran. According to these legends, these stories, the man known as King Solomon was the son of the famous Goliath slain David, who went on, Solomon did, went on to become the ruler of Israel in approximately 967 BCE, and he was ruling this enormous kingdom that extended from the Euphrates in the north to Egypt in the south. And in the religious text, he is presented as one of the wisest men in the history of civilization. He's kind of, and this is not a one-to-one comparison, religious scholars in the audience, He's kind of a Tony Stark. He's a genius inventor. He's a ladies' man. Yeah, he's super rich. He's super rich, exactly. And potentially practices the dark arts. And God appeared to him in a dream mm-hmm. during the early days of his, uh, of his reign. And he said, Solomon, you can have whatever you desire because you, act, you know how to worship me and you're honoring me in the ways and the methods uh, that your father, David, instructed you to. And when we say this guy's clever, we're drawing on numerous anecdotes. And the most famous one, which I'm, I think 
everybody is heard, whether or not you are religious and whether or not you are that familiar with Western religion, you've probably heard the story of the baby, right, where uh, he is a judge. Yeah. And these two women come to his court and they have a baby and both both of these people say, that is my child. I misspoke as well. Solomon is not known for practicing any dark arts, but there are things that he codified and committed to text that were used as sort of a lexicon by others that practiced said dark arts. Is that more accurate? You know, and I I think the the term dark art too is something that undergoes an evolution. That's a very good point. Because according to legend, he was practicing some stuff, but later it would be called dark arts, right, by – Church authorities. Okay, then. All right. So, so I wasn't so, too too far. No, off you're spot okay, on. Great. Spot on. But back to these. Back to these women. This, these are the days before DNA testing, obviously. So they say, "This is my kid. This lady's lying," and the other lady says, "No, this person's lying. This is truly my child." And Solomon's solution was to really double down on this. He said, "Okay." You've both convinced me in your own way. Tell you what, here, just just cut the baby in half, be done with it. And then one woman was prepared to accept the decision, but the other one begged King Solomon, please, it is my child, but give it to this other woman. I don't want the baby to die. Classic trope in sci-fi when you have clones, mm-hmm. you know, and to see which one, or like the evil uh, double or whatever, to mm-hmm. see which one's the real, the real one, mm-hmm. sort of. I don't know. Well, sci-fi draws a lot from religion. That's true. From earlier religion. So, of course, we know how we know how Solomon acted next once he saw one lady giving up the baby to spare its life. Yeah, I guess what I'm getting at with like the, if there's an evil twin, you can usually tell in sci-fi who's the real one because the real one will take a bullet for his lady love or something while the evil one will, you know, behave more. Less chivalrously. Right, right. And in the case of Solomon, uh, he says, okay, well, you have proven to me that you are the true mother, so that's obviously your child. Again, according to legend, people from surrounding nations came to hear Solomon's wisdom. He composed 3,000 proverbs, 1,005 songs. He wrote the Song of Songs, the Book of Proverbs, and other religious works. In the Jewish tradition, he is thought to be the builder of the first temple in Jerusalem and the last ruler of the kingdom of Israel before it was divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Judah. And in the tradition concerning the Key of Solomon, or also in the Lesser Key of Solomon, which we'll we'll have to mention because it's fascinating, the king used his powers, including a special seal and his magic ring, to summon and bind spirits. And it was these spirits that were his workforce for the first temple. So going back to dark arts, you know, centuries later, summoning spirits and spirits of the dead. To literally do your dirty work. Right. Or at least, you know, the work that you don't feel like doing because it's heavy. Masonry. Backbreaking. Yeah. So this, these are the claims about this individual. And we can get into those a little bit later. We want to set that up and bracket it. But now we got to talk about what's actually in this book. Because the key of Solomon is, as you said, Noel, an umbrella term for multiple different translations, for multiple, uh, I, I don't know, differing interpretations of the text. The, the book itself 
is composed of an introduction and then like two smaller books. And the introduction is a story about how the book allegedly came to be. So in the introduction to the book, readers uh, get a story about the creation of said text. Solomon writes the book for his son, Rehoboam, and tells uh, his son to hide the book in a uh, sepulcher upon Solomon's death. What's a sepulcher, Ben? That's like a kind of like a – It's like a tomb. A mausoleum sort of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, it's like a tomb, a small room usually built of stone or cut into rock where you put a dead body. Okay, or uh, a book. (laughs) Or a dead body with a book. It's a bonus. Could be clutching it. So what happens next? Well, uh, next, and by next I mean years and years later, um, Babylonian philosophers find the text while they're repairing Solomon's tomb, Solomon himself, his tomb. No one can understand the text, so they pray to God for understanding. And so, lo and behold, an angel appears and grants one of the philosophers the ability to read the text after he swears that he will keep it safe and hidden uh, from the unworthy and the wicked. This is obviously, of course, this is legend, has it, yes? Legend has it, as this story goes, yeah. This, uh, This legend says that the philosopher accepts the bargain and learns these ancient secrets. And then to keep his word to these divine forces, this philosopher places a spell on the book or what they call a conjuration, making it so that even if you manage to read it, if you are unworthy, unpious, you're unwise, you don't obey God or you don't fear God, you can do every single ritual in here to the letter and it just won't work, which isn't, is very clever. Isn't it interesting, too, how the term philosopher used to mean much more of a uh, almost wizardly type? Like I think mm-hmm. even one of the Harry Potter books in the, in the British printing, it's called the Philosopher's Stone. And in the U.S., it's called the Sorcerer's Stone. So they're kind of like a one-to-one thing. Mm-hmm. And the um, Philosopher's Stone being alchemical. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But now when we think of philosophers, we just think of high-minded mm-hmm. academics that, uh, you know. Yeah. And either way could be either way could apply because it just means lover of wisdom. That's right? true. Yeah, that's true. But you're absolutely right. A lot of times, people who were practicing what we would think of as very esoteric uh, rituals and belief systems were considered philosophers. Right. So this is this is the intro, and one thing that's incredibly clever about this introduction is that it already bakes in a defense mechanism for people who say the book is fake or it doesn't work. It puts the blame for uh, a lack of success in these rituals, not on the book itself, not on the nature of magic, but on the audience, the reader, the practitioner. If you didn't manage to turn invisible, then it's not because that's impossible. It's because you were unworthy or you were unwise or you didn't fear God, which will come into play later. But let's let's get into the actual substance of the book, the text itself, the key of Solomon. Should we take a little quickie break first, though? Fantastic idea. Let's do it. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. We have returned. As we said earlier, the book is divided into two sections. In book one, uh, you'll learn an astonishing amount of conjurations, curses, invocations meant to summon and bind spirits. Now, we mentioned spirits before. Let's outline, let's clarify this a little bit. Spirits in this sense could be the ghost of dead human beings or otherworldly creatures 
like angels or demons. Mm -hmm. And in many cases, a lot of anthropologists will tell you these, and and they're correct, uh, many of these things presented as demons are built off of earlier what we would call pagan myths or pagan gods, like the the god of lightning, Baal, who became Baal. And this is very apparent in some books that, which we'll get to in a moment, in some books that came after the Key of Solomon that actually named these demons. The first book, in addition to these descriptions, contained spells, which are called operations or experiments. Very mathematical sounding. Mm-hmm. And they Until can, you kind of dig in. Right, right. So the idea is uh, one, one series of operations or experiments can turn the practitioner invisible. There are spells to make people like you or fall in love with you, to help you find stolen or lost items. So there's some practical stuff in there. And that's just the first book. In book two... Um, he gets into detailing a lot of purification rituals that a practitioner of philosophy must undertake. Things like uh, the kinds of clothing they're supposed to wear, um, the spellcaster or operator. You know, mm-hmm. that was the earliest uh, version of that job, an <laughs> operator. Uh, and it was also called an exorcist in different translations. So like you say, Ben, the, yeah. the translation – can make a lot of difference in the way we look at that particular uh, activity or, you know, role. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's different, you know, how, what, 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 how they should go about constructing the various tools that they need to do the rituals and what kinds of animals should be sacrificed along with exactly how to go about sacrificing them. We have one example here from chapter 14 of that book. It's on the – uh, chapter 14 is of the pen, ink, and colors. Just to show you how weird this gets or how it may seem weird to us now, how specific it gets. All things employed for writing, etc., in this art should be prepared in the following manner. I'm going to do a voice. Thou shalt take a male gooseling, from which thou shalt pluck the third feather of the right wing, and in plucking it thou shalt say, Abermai, Hablilai, Samai, Teodonai, Athabas, Siever, Adonai, banish from this pen all deceit and error, so that it may be a virtue and efficacy to write all that I desire. Amen. Adonai is, is Hebrew. Yeah. Adonai is like a prayer, I believe. Yeah, these are um, names, invocations. I just remember it from choir from when I was a kid. It's, it's a very beautiful – yes, I'm sorry. It's the Hebrew name for God. That's, right. that's what that is. Um, but Ben, I'm sorry. The third feather on the right wing? How, 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 does, how, how doth one determine the third feather? There are a lot of feathers on a wing. Yeah, right? Do you count from the outside in or the inside out? It's sort of like your grandma's recipes, mm-hmm. you know? It's like a pinch or it doesn't even give you like actual measurements. It's a just goodly a, portion. A basic ratio, yeah. you know? So maybe the third, it doesn't matter. Just if you count – you know, you use the honor system for plucking feathers. So the important part here, too, and it has further instructions for what to do after plucking that quill and how to make it into a pen, what to do with the ink. And one thing that's incredibly important about this is that each of these physical acts are accompanied by this incantation that one must recite to simply pluck a feather – from anywhere on on the gosling is going to 
completely sync the entire experiment. So everything you do has to be attached to these pronunciations. I cannot get over the idea of these as experiments. Mm -hmm. It totally goes hand in hand with the kind of scientific nature of like alchemy and all of that and how it all is just kind of like trial and error type stuff. I really like that. And there's – and just like modern day experiments, there's intense ritualization. There's an effort to account for all the variables and reduce possible intervening variables, right? Which is strange because, you know, now, safe to say most modern-day scientists would not take kindly to being compared to sorcerers or wizards. No, I think they'd sock you in the the mouth. (laughs) They'd science sock you. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, but there's, there's an interesting parallel here. And while this is all fascinating, it's safe to say that almost anyone could sit down and make something like this up from whole cloth. We could we could say, okay, if you want to if you want to summon rainfall, then here's what you do. And if we're making it up, it doesn't matter really to us if it works. We say you take you find a you find a stray cat, you make it wear this special headdress that you made out of grass while you're saying these words and then boom, you're making this up. Yeah, right. And the question is, is this any different or is this just an older example? How real, quote-unquote real, is the actual key of Solomon? Here's where it gets crazy. And this is strange. There are, there are actually several here's where it gets crazy moments here. Do we, are you going to say it all every time? No, nah, I think just once. One to um, – sort of an umbrella here's where it gets crazy? True. It's like a key of Solomon kind of thing. So – First, in virtually every translation, this book appears to be uh, what we call pseudoepigrapha. So, meaning falsely attributed to a legendary author. Oh, a book like that. Wait, yeah. what? So, yeah. okay, go on. So, for instance, um, this this happened a lot in early Western religious developments. 300, 400, 700 years after something occurred or after someone was alive, an enterprising uh, scholar would write a book and say, you know, this is the book that this guy wrote. I know you've seen a lot of imitations, but accept no imitations. This is the real book of, you know, this disciple or this person, right, from the Torah or something. And experts estimate that the earliest versions of something like the Key of Solomon weren't actually written until somewhere between the 14th or 15th century. Uh, We have a quote from a researcher named Arthur Edward Waite that says, says essentially that, there's no ground for attributing the Key of Solomon in its present form a higher antiquity than the 14th or 15th century. A lot of people latch on to that present form thing and say, well, Maybe this version we understand isn't true, but maybe those Babylonian philosophers really did find some tattered scrolls by a skeleton, and those scrolls uh, just decayed over time, and people just kept recopying the story. You're talking about like in the the clutches of Solomon's dead hands, right? They're saying in you the, know, in the in the sepul- sep- sepulchre, sepulchre, <laughs> sepulchre. <laughs> 
Yeah, sue the sepulchre. Yeah, gosh, sorry, man. I'm having a, I'm having a bit of a day, Ben. Yeah, yeah. Just I can't pronounce words mainly. Oh, mm-hmm. one I, of those kind of days. I can't pronounce words. You know, I'll never forget one time in elementary school, I got a, uh, I got a B because I did a report on Carl Jung. Swing and a miss. Yeah. I just didn't have many people to speak with. You know so what, I was Ben? Just reading books in our business, and by that I mean the business that is Pod. You get them. You're gonna. You're gonna have a few pronunciation misses every now and then. It's just gonna happen. Yeah, and you have to wonder what would happen if we were practitioners of magic. Oh, right? and what if mispronouncing a word totally yielded a an undesirable or cataclysmic result? Mm-hmm. And. Furthermore, just while we're on this subject, the act of making a podcast is in many ways similar. There's a ritual, right, that we undergo as individuals, that we undergo as a group when we're recording, that you undergo as you listen, right? And there's something that we're all doing together. In a way, we're making this strange working together. It is strange. And also the ritualism of it all is why I get so thrown every time Matt's not here. We Mm -hmm. both get so thrown and we look at each other because we don't know how to start. Mm -hmm. It's true. It's true. And when we say it's true, we mean it is not just true for us right now, but it is true for all time. You can go back to the very beginning of our show, and you can hear those moments that we have just described. Those moments have something called historicity. Historicity is something that comes up in the search for the key of Solomon as well. Historicity is just the fun-to-say word that describes the historical authenticity of a given person, place, event, or thing. I love this word. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great one because when – okay, so if you've ever seen those specials on the History Channel or National Geographic or something wherein they have a documentarian saying, all right, now we're journeying to this mountain in Turkey to search for the real Noah's Ark. Of course. They're questing for historicity. They want to prove the legends. Uh, One example of this that we return to time and time again would be the search for the ancient city of Troy, which was for a long time after it was lost, it was believed to be a myth until someone found it. Yeah, well, it's like we were talking about finding Genghis Khan's burial site, mm-hmm. any of these things, the lost city of Atlantis, whatever. And it's all kind of myth and 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 hubbub until you actually do discover something like mm-hmm. that. Is that historicity there? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So multiple scholars, even today as we record this, they've examined the works describing King Solomon, and they've attempted to square these texts with existing physical evidence or secular contemporary writing, so non, non-religious non community-based. And the debate over this stuff continues today. There are some scholars, uh, like uh, this professor Israel Finkelstein, who argue that the stories surrounding the rule of King Solomon are not factually accurate. And he and people who agree with him do not believe the biblical descriptions of anything should be taken literally. Wait, so like they're saying like Solomon was like a like a character kind of like a made up 
cartoon? Not They're not quite going that far often. They're saying that a lot of this stuff attributed to him I see. doesn't, doesn't count uh, because there are people who believe they've found the tomb of the king of Israel, right? And you're on you're absolutely correct though in that there are other scholars who totally say there's a, there's a guy named Philip Davis who says Solomon himself is totally invented just made up character maybe a um maybe a literary device to explain the story of Israel at the time or various other political circumstances and then there are still other scholars who are completely on the other side, like William Deaver, who believe that the biblical stories of Solomon and his kingdom are more or less trustworthy. So even now in 2018, we have three camps of people. We have a group of people saying, yes, totally, absolutely, mostly true. A group of people saying, well, something was true, but it got exaggerated. And then we have a group of people who are saying, bunk, flim flam, malarkey and hooey. All of them. All of them, yeah. So the search for physical evidence, that would be the real smoking gun, right? The search for physical evidence continues. And in the Middle East today, various people argue that they have found physical evidence of things described in religious works. And then there's another camp of people who argue that these ruins are being purposely conflated with other ancient stories for one reason or another. And one of the big accusations is that these reasons are politically motivated to give one group or another in the modern day a more, quote unquote, legitimate claim to land. I see. But there's another piece of physical evidence, several pieces that we haven't really talked about, but we should at least mention. Let's get to them after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. 
The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The Seven every weekday. So follow The Seven right now. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. We're back. The thing about this physical evidence uh, is that we are still producing new physical evidence, new cultural iterations ultimately derived from the key of Solomon in the modern day, you know, we mentioned there are other books that came later, like the Testament of Solomon or the Lesser Key of Solomon. That's the one with uh, the 72 demons and their properties named, you know, that's where we can see the trace of these pagan gods. Those works are still inspiring works in the modern day. Yeah. Like, uh, I think we've talked about, maybe we have it on this show, but um, the movie Hereditary, um, which I think you and I both enjoyed. Yeah. Enjoy is maybe a weird way of putting it. It's a quite unpleasant film. I enjoyed it. Yeah, well. (laughs) Those are your people, man. All right. No, no, no. But yes, it's a very expertly done uh, kind of psychological horror show with family drama kind of at its heart. But uh, this is slight spoilers. Slight spoilers. Uh, Barely. Abandon all hope of not being spoiled, ye who listen here. Yes. But we're not going to do major spoilers, just the inclusion, which if you had your uh, P's and Q's of demonology Mm -hmm. down, you would have noticed very early on in the movie that there's a certain symbol that shows up um, that is the symbol of one of the gods, or not demons, rather, in this, this lesser key of Solomon called Paimon. Mm-hmm. And Paimon was one of the kind of dukes of hell, I believe, or like one of Satan's, you know, a prince of hell? What would you, what would you, how would you call him? Yeah, he's uh, often described as a great king, but he's obedient to Lucifer. So he's, st- he's not in charge, charge, but he commands many other Many other spirits. That's right. And he's depicted as having sort of feminine features, riding uh, upon a camel, and he commands um, the ability to control people and summon other demons and also is a big fan of the arts, mm-hmm. as it turns out. Mm-hmm. And you'll see folks like the occultist Carol Polk Runyon, who will come up later. 
uh, Carol Polk Runyon, who suggests that this name ultimately derives from a pre-existing pagan god. And he says this because some of those manuscripts depict Paman as a woman riding a camel. And this goes back to the overall claim that the lesser key of Solomon and the key of Solomon themselves are actually rooted in pre-existing Mesopotamian mythology. So again, we see the cultural evolution here and it continues today. That's the thing. History is not so distant as people would have you believe. The story hereditary Again, we'll, we'll end the spoilers after this. The story of Hereditary does some excellent research into the foundations of what is perceived as a demon today mm-hmm. and once was not necessarily associated with anything inherently bad. That's right. You know? And it's, it's fascinating. We have to wonder where the evolution is going to go. But we said there's, there's another thing we run into with the key of Solomon. One of the big questions we're talking about in this episode, does it actually work? Meaning, is there some sort of operation or experiment that uh, you fellow listeners, Paul and Noel and I could do that would create a reproducible, predictable outcome? Multiple people maintain that this is the case, that experiments or operations outlined in the book actually do work, just perhaps not the way you might assume if you're thinking about magic as the sort of thing we see in horror movies. According to this guy we mentioned earlier, Poke Runyon, who's an author, a cultural anthropologist, and we have to say, to be fair, a complete magic practitioner himself. Mm-hmm. He, he is actually doing this stuff. According to him... The Key of Solomon is more an example of Western shamanism and these operations, experiments, and rituals explained in the text are actually early forms of psychological uh, psychological experiments, therapy even. Really? Yeah. Oh, that would never have occurred to me. So it's almost more along the lines of kind of like the mystics uh, we talked about on our other show, Ridiculous History, and the, the hermits of the ridge mm-hmm. of the cave of Kelpius or the, the cult. It's like a doomsday cult that was headed by a philosopher slash astronomer yeah. who practiced some of these kind of end times philosophies but did seem to be uh, kind of rallying around ritual and this idea of these sort of mystic arts. Yeah, and that's an excellent point because in that episode we mentioned that in the modern age or what appears to be modern for us, we often have this harsh and bright divide between what we see as the realm of the esoteric and the mystic and the realm of the rational and the scientific. But the truth of the matter is for most of human civilization, those two things were not considered mutually exclusive. I believe we use the example of um, Isaac Newton who did some profoundly groundbreaking scientific work but also – Believed in alchemy, mm-hmm. you know, and this the, – the presence of mysticism in early philosophy or the presence of these ritualistic beliefs does not mean that everything was automatically wrong. And if we look at it from an anthropological perspective, maybe they were making some psychological breakthroughs similar to that 
episode we had about uh, the inherent mysticism in the bicameral mind theory, right? You're hearing a voice. That's right. Yeah. And that voice is driving your human train. Mm Mm-hmm. And the voice is you. The voice is you. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. (laughs) That's going to be such a Shyamalan twist, you know? I almost wish— But, Ben, who are you? Right. Who are we? What are we? I don't know. Who that's, are, what we're, we're, that's what we're here to discuss. That's, that's what we're getting toward. Yeah. So from an anthropological perspective then, does this sort of thing work or do operations in here work? According to Runyon, it's a exploration of the underlying cognitive structure of the human mind, which sort of functions in terms of symbol before it functions in terms of language. I think we may have mentioned on an earlier episode, but the Kekule problem with uh, Cormac McCarthy, he wrote, he wrote this article in Nautilus about the relationship between language and the original function of the human mind. And the, the inspiration for this is the common or not infrequent occurrence where some scientist or some great thinker is attempting to figure out a problem and they rack their brains and they picture a gigantic chalkboard and they just go crazy and throw everything everywhere and then they fall asleep and they get the answer in a dream. But it's never in words. It's in a symbol. Interesting. So the reason this is important is because with that with that emphasis on symbols, with that emphasis on these visual aspects, these emotional states over what we call language, Runyon traces a narrative starting from ancient mystery religions all the way to more modern theorists like Carl Jung who believed in the concept of the great unconsciousness and archetypes. And this means to Runyon that the magic is working because there's the inducement of trances and the use of ritual that takes the mind to strange and new or perhaps old and strange places. So several of the acts described or the operations rather are in his mind actually uh, means of self-discovery and self hypnosis but these symbols are important and that's you know what before we i think we we may be doing a disservice if we don't talk a little more about those symbols because noel you pointed out in early on in hereditary demonologists in the crowd notice that symbol right that's right. Yeah, a friend of ours actually, um, who is a local practitioner of um, witchcraft and or Wiccanism, and also mm-hmm. I believe uh, is in the Atlanta chapter of the Church of Satan. Um, Hale uh, recognized it right off the bat, knew exactly where the movie was going. <laughs> so uh, good on him. But Ben, I may be being a dummy, but I, I would like a little more clarification as to what separates the lesser key from the, you know, just the regular key. And why is it lesser? Right. Yeah. So part of it comes from the textual history. We mentioned that there were many, many different books that were either translations of something pre-existing or they were snatched from other grimoires. Or they were just slapped with the title of something that would be familiar to the audience, to the crowd. So the lesser key of Solomon is 
is based on another book or a couple of different books, uh, one by a guy named Johann Weyer, Johann Weyer uh, called De Prestigious Daemonim. And it seems like the Lesser Key of Solomon was pulled from this other book, not so much from the Key of Solomon itself. So the big question is, and it, and it does have a lot of the same ideas. The big question is if it just got that title because somebody decided to name it that. It's There's no known author for the book, and it appears like it was pulled from several different sources, including Vire. It was compiled in the mid-17th century, mostly from things that were a couple of centuries older. So it kind of came after it, which is probably why it was called the lesser key. I see. Not inferior quality, yeah. just yeah, yeah, yeah. more recent. So and, and again, like from the from the top of the show, we said this idea of the key of Solomon was an umbrella term for mm. several different translations and um yeah. I can I can see that. That makes sense. So we're encountering we're encountering a couple of things. We're encountering Possibilities of literary hoaxes, which I don't know if we should be too comfortable with because the idea that it would be a literary hoax implies that the authors may have been cynical and may not have believed what they were writing. And I don't think that was always the case at all. We're also encountering the possibility of um, deep psychological experimentation in ancient days. Yeah, yeah. Now, that's that's fascinating to me, the idea that some of this uh, sort of ritualism and mysticism was kind of early forms of psychological healing or control or mm. I'm not like almost like you'd see at a revival of some kind, you know? Yeah, interesting. Yes, and a good point because what we do know is that whether or not this text was based on some earlier text before the 14th or 15th centuries or whether it was just made up in the 14th or 15th centuries based on non-written or orally transmitted traditions. Uh, the fact of the matter is that people who practice this stuff now may feel like they are practicing something that is psychologically impactful to them, right? So is magic like beauty, something in the eye and mind of the beholder? We're, we're of course, not saying – I mean, I don't know about you, Noel. I've never done some ritual to try to appear invisible um, and – Never even worn camo or anything? No. No. <laughs> Scoff. <laughs> <laughs> never. Never. Uh, the best way to be invisible in a place is not to go there. That's also true. You've definitely <laughs> done that before. I have done that. Yeah. I'm notorious at the office for that. But um, but we're not knocking this at all because at, at heart, whether you feel this is fascinating folklore, whether you feel this is a belief system that calls to you, uh, or whether you feel this is just something fascinating to learn about, the, the truth is there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with practicing a belief system of your own choice so long as – and this is the most important part – so long as you are not hurting anyone. And back in the day, we had received a number of letters and notes from your fellow listeners who had said that they had had strange, inexplicable experiences with everything from a Ouija board to 
incantations or something that they had found online or in a library or even just staring into a mirror, which is a, an intensely meditative act. And by the way, it's the it's one of the acts that or it's one of the rituals that Pope Runyon himself practices. You can find him online. He's uh, he's got a very particular way of speaking. I think we played some a little bit off air. So oh yeah, I think so. Yeah, he's very much a uh, a storyteller. But if you have had those sorts of inexplicable experiences, or if you have attempted to operate one of the experiments mentioned in the Key of Solomon or its many translations, please do write to us. We would like to hear your story. We would like, and that's whether or not you think something strange happened or whether you thought it was all a waste of time. We don't, by the way, we don't think that automatically means you are unworthy, unpious, hmm. or don't fear God. Unpious? Unpious. Oh, at first I thought you said unbiased. Unbiased. <laughs> that's different. That is different. That's a great point. Either way, you can uh, you can find us on Instagram, you can find us on Twitter, you can find us on Facebook, especially our community page. Here's where it gets crazy, where you can uh, you can see Noel and Matt and myself uh, popping up in digital person. You mm-hmm. can invoke us. Yeah, actually. we even have little avatars that we use. Mm-hmm. That's it, not true, but we could get them. We could get them. We can make them. Uh, we have the rituals and we have the uh, the ability. To successfully enact those operations. Mainly you mean admin privileges. Yeah, mainly. Uh, That's what they call them now. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, the times have changed. (laughs) The times have changed. uh, But wizardry in some form or another continues. Uh, We would like to hear your experiences with it. As always, thank you so much for checking out the episode. And uh, thank you to Paul, who we did not run that nickname past. Nope. (laughs) So we might get it at the end of this. But Noel, what what do people do if... uh, if they don't want to find us on Twitter, if you don't want to find us on Instagram, if you say, I would, um, I know you have a phone number, one eight three three stdwytk ah, That's usually Matt's part, too. <laughs> I see what you're doing here. You're trying to invoke a bit of ritual. <laughs> you're spot on, Noel. Yes. We always begin and end with a ritual. And you can be part of the ritual. You can email us directly. We are conspiracy at howstuffworks.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. 
With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. <laughs> 